Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's such a blessing to be with you. Before I get into the message, I want to just say how much I appreciate Bill uh, and his shepherding of us last week in a great sermon, and then the funeral message was wonderful. I do want to take him to task, though, about calling us weirdos last Sunday, over and over, not only strangers, not only exiles, but I think he took a perverse pleasure in calling us weirdos. But, you know, I was kind of smiling inside, too, because I was thinking, that explains a lot. Uh, especially about this section over here. I won't mention any names, but Rebecca, Joel, Dallas, you know who you are. I actually have a birthday card that I'm going to give Bill this August that says, Normal is overrated. Happy birthday, weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> but on a serious note, I want to thank God this morning for his many and wonderful great powers. Man, I thank him, first of all, for his saving power. And um, it's Palm Sunday, and let's read together about him coming into Jerusalem. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 21, uh, Matthew's account of this event. And it, he wrote, and when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road, and the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you would wash us with the water of your word, that we would be like newborn babes coming up from cleansing and, and uh, vibrantly praising you and loving you, Lord. I ask that you would anoint this message, that Jim Grinnell would be out of the way and a clear channel for you to move and to speak to our hearts. I pray you would transport us, Lord, to that place between earth and heaven where we can see more clearly uh, 
who we are and what you have done for us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, our dear family at TCF. I bless every one of them. In your precious name, amen. I think Heather was right on target when she talked about the meaning of Hosanna, that it is both an expression of praise and also an expression of save us, help us. And so in our vernacular, it's as if the people were saying, Hallelujah, help has arrived. Jesus is here. And though there was a lot of mixed uh, thoughts about what that meant, that's what they were saying. Help has arrived. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm so grateful for God's saving power. I saw his saving power. I'll never forget. Our family was in Mexico distributing Bibles on a missions trip. John McVeigh was leading the charge on that particular trip. And we, my family, my kids were little, and we had, were marching up a block uh, giving Bibles to every home. And uh, we had to stop at a particular house on the block. Uh, and the next morning, when we went to continue, at the next house, the whole family was out on the porch, not only waiting to receive a Bible, but waiting to receive Jesus Christ. And so uh, our family uh, had the chance to uh, lead this entire family to Christ. Psalm 149.4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I still wonder that God saved me. Uh, a kid from a prosperous and loving humanistic family. No one in my family that I knew of uh, served Jesus Christ or spoke of him. Uh, as their savior, but somehow he reached me in his love and convinced me that I was a sinner and gave me the gift of repentance, and uh, I received him as my Lord and Savior. I give him all the glory for that and agree with the scripture that says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen. My God is mighty to save. Yes, we sing, my God is mighty to save, and I thank him for his saving power. I also thank him for his miracle working power. If you need a miracle, I would suggest you get the Feathers family, and specifically the little kids, praying for you. Uh, they've been praying for Laura faithfully over the years, and I think, Jason, you told me it was Wesley, would pray for Laura. And he didn't know this big term, histoplasmosis, this name of this disease. So he would just say, Lord, help the histo lady. And how could you turn down Wesley Feathers, you know? This little bundle of energy, so real, so loving, praying. And God heard his prayer among the others of you, I know he's not the only one, but God's miracle working power 
caused this disease to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and it is in remission. And so we thank him for his healing power, his miracle-working power. But, you know, his miracle-working power isn't just healings, about healings, is it? Uh, Think of a baby being born or the love and affection of Christ we feel for each other. Think of a gentle spring rain. We've been having those lately. But I think about that, that rain and the goodness of God, that the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And uh, think of the love of a faithful friend and those wonderful times where we feel the presence of God. These are all miracles. Remember Albert Einstein said there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle and the other is though everything is a miracle. I'm grateful for the miracle working power of God. I'm also grateful for the guiding and correcting power of God. How many of you have had the experience of even as a Christian straying into sin and God has lovingly corrected you, he's disciplined you, he's caused you to return to him with grateful tears of repentance, the gift of repentance, so precious. I'm so thankful for his unrelenting, even jealous love, so grateful for the guiding and correcting power of God. But this morning, what I want to talk about and focus in on is the miracle of his sustaining power, his sustaining grace. God has spoken a word to my heart, and I hope you resonate with it, that in my desire and hope for miracles, I have underappreciated and perhaps even grieved him with less than full gratitude for his sustaining power, that power that gets us through the rough times, that power that uh, sustains us in every circumstance. Sometimes we feel his presence, sometimes we don't, and yet he gets us through until that day of our launching into heaven, God's appointed time, as we saw our dear sister Shirley go this so recently. So I'm determined to meditate and give, begin to give continual thanks to God for his sustaining power. Uh, David did this in Psalm 37, 23, and 24. He said this, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and God delights in their way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who sustains him with his hand. Isn't that beautiful? And Isaiah said something something very similar in uh, 41, 8 through 10. He said, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. 
Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Have you ever been watching TV and uh, you've seen uh, a basketball player or a football player, one of these elite athletes, um, I don't know, in my mind I see this picture of this huge, powerful man with maybe just one finger extended and a little toddler, his son or daughter, hanging on to his hand, and they're walking together. This huge, powerful, strong, safe man. And the little toddler is walking around with the, along with him with the confidence of a Caesar because he holds the hand of his strong and powerful and mighty Father. This is an earthly image of a heavenly truth that God holds us in his safe and strong and mighty hand. And so let's give thanks together this morning for God's sustaining power. And I want to do that in uh, three ways, or, or highlight three ways that he sustains us. The first is this. Aren't we grateful that he sustains us morning by morning? In Lamentations, we read something that is known as Jeremiah's confession of faith. Let me read it to you. You, you know these words, but listen again to his confession of faith. He said, when I remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness, then surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. But this I recall to mine, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's mercy indeed never ceases and his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Many mornings, this is among my first thoughts. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Let me drink deeply of your mercy today. G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite writers, and in his book, Orthodoxy, he describes how he began to believe in God by looking at the regularity of nature, the cycles of nature. And uh, he postulated in his own mind that the sun rising each morning is not an automatic event decreed in the past by a remote God but rather a daily act of God because of his excessive childlike joy. So listen to how he said it. The sun rising is due not to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The, the thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children when they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy. A child kicks his, kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have a bounding vitality, they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated 
and unchanged. They always say, do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Mommy. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. We used to do, uh, this is the way the farmer rides, gallop a trot, you know, with a progression of more and more uh, vigor until we were dead. He goes on, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning to the sun, do it again, and every evening to the moon, do it again. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately because he has never gotten tired of making daisies. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. We have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we are. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. In fact, each act may be a theatrical encore. Isn't that beautiful? Regardless of his motive, or means of execution, God's sustaining power is everywhere in every breath. I believe the Jews believed that every breath was a gift from God. Uh, that sacredness, that sacred view of life, every heartbeat, every bite of food, every smile, every blade of grass, every song of a bird, every child's cry or laughter, and especially in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says, And He, Jesus Christ, is the exact, is the radiance of God the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He, Jesus, listen to this, sustains all things by the word of His power. Oh, great is Thy faithfulness, O oh God, my Father, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And so, we are grateful this morning, first, that he sustains us morning by morning. Secondly, aren't we so grateful that he sustains us in all our circumstances? Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Some have called this verse the most encouraging verse in the Bible. I'll never forget hearing the story of a circumstance that brought a whole primitive tribe to Jesus Christ. It was in 1937 in Sumatra. This is a true story, you guys. It's not Christian urban legend, okay? Sometimes we hear stories of circumstantial miracles and we think, yeah, that may have happened, maybe not. Who can I trust? But this, this one is true. Uh, a young 23-year-old missionary, Hubert Mitchell, was... Uh, called, he knew he was called to the Kubu people of Sumatra. Sumatra is in 
uh, Indonesians. Uh, and the Kubu people lived in trees and on, on poles because they tend to live in low lands. They're hunter-gatherers, very simple people. Uh, so he, he came to them to spread the gospel, and after he met them, and he began to right away tell them about Jesus Christ uh, dying on the cross for them. And the, the chief asked, what's a cross? And so he had his native assistant uh, cut and delim a couple of poles that he tied with grass into the shape of a cross, and then uh, he lay upon the limbs to show how Jesus hung for our sins. Um, the chief, chief said in his own language, Apa Paco, Apa Paco, um, at when, when the missionary tried to describe what a nail was and how Jesus was fastened to the cross. He even went and got a thorn and tried to show the, the chief uh, how Jesus was fastened to the cross. But he, he, was, he was flummoxed about how to describe a nail, how to describe iron. And uh, the chief seemed to lose interest at that point, he didn't understand. And so they all kind of drifted away and, and, uh, and Hubert Mitchell was, was disappointed. But it's said that uh, in that uh, moment during dinner, he went to have dinner and the Lord gave him this verse, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he took courage. And um, he had eaten his meal, and he went to grab a can of mandarin oranges that he had bought in China uh, some weeks before. And he poured the mandarin oranges into a bowl, but as he was about to discard the can, he heard a rattle. And so he looked in the can, and here was a small nail. And he, he, he was just dumbfounded, but he, he grabbed the nail, thanking God, and he ran into the chief's tent and said, Chief, here's a nail. And he, he, he poked the chief uh, in the palm with the nail and on the back of his hand, and the chief understood and so in the next moments, uh, the chief received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He understood that Jesus had come to deliver them from sin and shame. And of course, when the people saw that the chief was receiving Christ, they all wanted to receive Christ too. And so the whole village came to Jesus Christ. God is at work in our circumstances. God invites us to call upon Him in all our circumstances. He says, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Early in our marriage, Laura and I lived in an old farmhouse in northern Minnesota, about 60 miles below the 
Canada border. And of course, in the winter, it got very cold. And this particular winter, um, it was the time when the thermometer dipped well below zero. And we had friends named Gary and Mary who uh, had this unusual habit of always, Gary had this habit of always trying to fix his car in the coldest weather. Uh, or, you know, some impossible task in the worst conditions. And uh, this particular evening, we had a nice time of fellowship with Gary and Mary, and then they decided to go back to their cabin, which was very remote, uh, in a snowstorm and sub-zero weather. The thing was, that wouldn't have been scary, except their driveway was about a mile long and impassable because of the snow. So he would park his... You know, he would park at the end of his driveway, and then they were going to walk about a mile into the woods to an unheated cabin, no electricity, uh, for, for their night. And uh, Laura and I were pretty scared about this, and so I didn't know what to do. He was just insistent that he's going to this, back to this cabin. So we joined hands, and we prayed together. I prayed for God's safety. Didn't know what else to do. And uh, a few days later, I said to Gary, I mean, he was still alive. I said to Gary, how did it go that night? And he said, oh, Jim, it was the weirdest thing. He said, when we got to our parking spot, there were two snowmobilers on snowmobiles just sitting there. And I went up to him and greeted them and said, you know, what's going on? You know, this was 10 or 11 at night. They had their lights on. I said, uh, you know, what are you guys doing? And they said, we don't know. We're just here. And so, of course, they gave Gary and Mary a lift to their cabin. I'm so grateful that God sustains us in all our circumstances. He sustains us morning by morning. He sustains us in all our circumstances. Maybe the greatest sustaining power is the promise of His continual presence with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. We are told He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That because of Him, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. Clay Starrett says, uh, one version says, goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. And Clay likens that to two sheepdogs always nipping at our heels. Goodness and mercy. And that even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He's also with us in all our adversities, our challenges, sicknesses, sorrows, and sufferings. And, and this is a key. Even when we cannot feel his presence. There's a common saying that God will not give you more than you can handle. But this is really a wrong perspective. It's really... I would say, a false belief. It's based on 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says, 
that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. Now that word, Greek word for tempted can mean tested or trial, tried. But in this passage, it's only referring to temptation to typical carnal sins. It's not talking about suffering. Even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.8 that he was pressed to the point of despairing of life itself. Um, the truth is, in any mature Christian's life, in God's school, he and she will be taken to a place of some kind of suffering way beyond what he or she thinks they can endure. How many would say, God has taken me places that I didn't think I could endure, and in, in reality, I couldn't. And Paul teaches us that this will happen to us so that we won't trust in ourselves and in our own strength, but in God's sustaining grace, His power. Let's read that passage in 2 Corinthians 1. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And God delivered us from that great peril of death, and he will deliver us again, he on whom we have set our hope. Again, in another place, Paul sought the Lord three times about his thorn in the flesh. And what was God's answer to him? It wasn't, oh, Paul, I don't give you anything that you can't handle. It was, my grace is sufficient for, for you. See, the focus is on his grace, not our strength. So we need to separate this idea of God won't give us any temptation from God won't take us through suffering. Uh, I have a friend, many of you know him in town, named Tim Peterson. Tim's a fine, fine brother here in Tulsa. And he was at a Voice of the Martyrs conference a couple weeks ago. I don't know, did any of you attend that? Um, but Tim was telling me that uh, there were three pastors uh, Zoomed in for the conference, and two, uh, two of them talked about this fact that God takes us way beyond ourselves. Uh, one of them tried to hang himself. Uh, I, think, I think that brother was in Iran. In fact, he was on the news a lot before he was released. You might remember his face from uh, news reports. And then there was a brother in Turkey who tried to drown himself in his sink several times. Uh, and these are men of God. And so we can't be naive about the fact that uh, we may experience suffering that takes us way, way 
beyond our own strength. Obviously, both of these were men of God and taken way beyond their, their own strength. And I would submit to you that I can almost guarantee that you and I, if we were put in dark cells for a number of years, poor nutrition, uh, cold and hunger, no positive human interaction, beatings, and darkness, it's quite possible, probably, likely, we would feel as they felt, abandoned by God. Uh, and yet, the scriptures tell us, God will never leave us or forsake us. So, that says to me that our faith has to be based on the Word of God and a strong conviction that we've cultivated in the deepest parts of our soul, not on the felt presence of God. If we want to get through those kinds of circumstances or the things in our life. Job said something like this. He said, I will trust him even when I cannot trace him. I will trust him even when I cannot see him or feel him or understand him. That, my friends, is faith. We must move beyond feeling into faith, that deep cultivated conviction of God's sustaining power, whether we feel it or not. Let me read to you Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may, be, may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. You know, Jesus, it's, the scriptures say he was tempted in all ways that we are. So one of the ways is feeling abandoned by God. When did Jesus feel abandoned by God? On the cross, right? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet that psalm describing his agony ends up in a declaration of victory that where Jesus just declares the promises of God and clings to them. Corey Ten Boom famously said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I'm so grateful for God's sustaining presence, promised presence and power in our lives. And so to conclude, I'd like to pray with you and offer a benediction. If, if this resonates with your spirit, that you would like to cultivate that deep conviction of God's sustaining power. You'd like to be more aware of it. You'd like to be more grateful for it. And you would like to develop the strength of faith where that's based on your conviction according to the word of God more, even more than your feelings, his felt presence. If, if that's your heart, would you stand with me as I pray? And then I'd like to offer a benediction at the end.
Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your sustaining power. We see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, setting his face like flint to endure the cross for us, and we know that he must have been drawing upon that sustaining grace in you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your many powers, your saving power, your miracle-working power, your guiding and correcting power, and your great sustaining power. Lord, we ask you to help us. Uh, I like the word cultivate. Help us cultivate that deep conviction that you are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You're in all our circumstances working for good. Uh, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We're praying, Lord, that you would help us move beyond feeling. We thank you for those times when we feel your presence so strongly. Those times when we hear your voice in a whisper. Those times you speak to our heart. But Father, deeper than all of that, we want to be people of deep faith that believe the promises of God whose portion is the Lord, and it's settled. The Lord is our portion. That's where I've set my hope. The Word of God is my guiding light. And um, that's where my faith is. And we thank you and praise you for helping us with that. We thank you that your grace is enough, just like you said to Paul. Your grace is sufficient. And our focus needs to be not on how well we're handling it, but our focus needs to be on your sufficiency, your grace, that we can call upon in time of need. Thank you for these pastors who were so willing to share how you took them to places that were beyond their strength. Uh, and we trust that you've restored them, Lord, in a beautiful way. Um, so once again, we thank you and we praise you that your mercies are new every morning. You're at work in all our circumstances you never leave or forsake us. And we thank you for this week coming up of you going to the cross for us, Lord, being sustained by God's power yourself as an example for us. And now I want to read a benediction from the last two verses of Jude for those of you who have really entered into this prayer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Jim.